Hey, everybody. Hey, Wanderers. Hey, Weirdos. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for joining me for the Wander with Andrew Wilcox podcast. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, it's been a while since we've had an episode. Not to get into it too deeply, I've had a few um, health issues, and I moved, and a couple of things just got in the way of making new episodes. The point of the podcast has always been to eventually grow it to the happens every week consecutively. It is a it is many things, I, I guess. When I thought of the name of this podcast, first off, wander is just because my mind goes off in several directions a lot of the time. Uh, it happens. Uh, the second was. Um, I wanted to explore ideas, thoughts, uh, different ways the world could go in the same way that you would go for a walk through a forest, right? I don't know, because that's what it feels like sometimes when you have some of these ideas. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. That was the whole kind of, that was the whole process behind the name in a lot of ways. And then two, I think, the, I guess if there was some big, three actually, three big overarching theme to the whole idea is that it is a wander. There's no set path. There's no map that we have for what the future is going to look like. That is the wander, I guess, if we're to get super weirdly ethereal, um, is that when we go forward, we don't have all the answers. We'll never have all the answers. Part of the beauty is we'll never have all the answers. Um, but what I wanted with the podcast was to talk to people who have gone a little bit further down a certain path than we have so they can sort of show us the way through it uh, without necessarily knowing what's going to come out completely in the end. I don't know. Maybe that's too much mind think. Maybe that's just me, uh, a little tired uh, on, a, on a Wednesday morning. Um, I'm super excited for this episode, though, uh, because I'm talking to Ron Tite, and Ron Tite is a guy that I saw speak probably close to 10 years ago now. And I, I was going to a networking event with a friend and I don't generally get super excited about networking events. I enjoy them, but it's a lot of meeting people you don't know, about trying to make conversation, trying to make connections. Um, I would, I, I don't know, in a lot of ways, I'd much rather be other places. Uh, a paddleboard in the middle of a lake, you know, is where I naturally would rather be. But anyway, went to this networking event, and Ron Tite was the speaker. And he was so interesting, so engaging, so funny. I was just blown away by him. And I always hoped there was an opportunity that I would be able to see him again in some way, shape, or form and maybe have a conversation with him. And when this podcast came about a few years ago, I was like, this guy is definitely a guest that I want to have on here. Um, and I hope the time is right to do that. And he has a brand new book um, called Think, Do, Say. And so it lined up. He agreed to be on the podcast, which is super cool. And we're going to play that conversation for you in, in just a few seconds here. Um, Ron kind of goes over a bit of his history, but uh, just to give you an, an overview, uh, Ron is a comedian. 
an actor, an improviser. He has his own uh, marketing firm in Toronto called Church and State. used to be called The Tight Group. He is the co-author of one book called Everyone's an Artist. He also has a podcast called The Coup. And there's a podcast for uh, Think, Say, Do as well. And he is a um, he is just putting out this brand new book, which is really like I'm not just selling it because he's on the podcast. Uh, it's actually a really good, really engaging, uh, really fun book to read. That's not just for marketers. It goes beyond that. So I'm super excited. For to have brand new episodes of the podcast. I hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope that you stick around for more to come. My hope from this point on is that I can put out an episode every week continually for as long as people will listen. And I might even do it after that. I might just keep doing it uh, because part of this whole podcast is my journey. It's, uh, it's helping me to make sense of the world. And I hope that it helps you too. Anyway, here's Ron Tight. A really, really fun conversation with Ron. Welcome to Wander with Andrew Wilcox. How, how does a person, how does an individual find honesty in a world where we're just constantly overloaded with marketing that we have to, uh, you know, take in, uh, respond to? How do we find the honesty in that? Do, do you mean us as consumers or us as marketers? Us as consumers, first off. Yeah. Uh, well, the one thing we need to do is we need to vote with our wallet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is this notion that, uh, you know, People don't vote with their wallets; they vote with their time, which is which is true. That we have to first win the battle for time, uh, but eventually we need to vote with our wallet. We need to buy stuff, and so we need to support brands and organizations that deliver honest marketing. That's the first thing. Um, but what we need to do is we need to change our expectations of what marketing is. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, marketing is uh, marketing is essentially making sure that the right people have the right product at the right time. And so if you get something that um, is not targeted for you, you, you know, you're like, why am I seeing this ad on Facebook? Like this has nothing to do with me. Well, clearly it's targeting the wrong person. That has been a waste of time. And so you need to seek out um, the brands who are speaking to you in a relevant way, in an authentic way, um, and um, and in a in a in a valuable way that that give you the things you need when you need them with the lowest amount of stress possible. Everything else we're just buying into some you know um, uh, aspiration that that maybe isn't actually the things we want or need. I think people though I, I worry that they've become super skeptical and it's find that they find it very hard to to point out where the honesty is in these things. Like how, how, do you def- how do you figure out what the true and honest creators are? I think we, we sought simplicity for so long and we just chose whatever made it the easiest. And now we're looking for, um, we're looking for something that's more fulfilling and more um, just better. And, and, and I think that we've become incredibly skeptical through that. 
Do you agree? Yeah, 100%. And there's two, there's two points to that. Um, the first one is, are people more skeptical? Yep. Guaranteed. And it's, but it's not just because of marketing. If we look at the last decade, this is what the average consumer has witnessed just in their field of vision. Lance Armstrong lied to our faces. Bill Cosby went from America's dad to America's predator. The, the, the CEO compensation went through the roof. The Panama Papers did nothing. Occupy Wall Street. Every you know politician sent a dick pic to everybody. They abandoned family vow from all sides of the political spectrum. You can buy your spot on the New York Times bestseller list. So, and let alone that Volkswagen with the emission scandals and Wells Fargo, and, you know, it's just every side of a person's life um, they have been let down. And so when a marketer comes in and says, this is the best vacuum you're ever going to use, they go, I'm calling bullshit. Mm-hmm. I just am. And so how do we get from the I'm calling bullshit to, oh, this is actually pretty good, is that when a brand uh, is based on action and behavior. So when something actually, uh, when a brand actually delivers it through their strategic intent um, the thing that you need. And here, I think, is for a brand in this equation, the mm-hmm. most important part of that is that's probably the thing with the most value is to solve a problem they didn't even know they had. So as, as an example for this, for years, hand dryers have completely sucked, like sucked beyond mm-hmm. belief. Every single one of them has sucked. They n- have never worked for decades. And People didn't say anything. They just, they said nothing because we all had a little workaround, right? It was like, there was no other option. That was the deal. And we would go to restaurants and go, this is the food's amazing. Service is great. Um, But the hand dryer stuff, nobody ever said that. And we just had our, you know, like, I'll wipe our hands and our hands. And that was the workaround. And then Dyson came out and said, actually, we're going to create one that works. And then people stepped back and thought, yeah, this is finally, this thing dries my hands. This is incredible. And so do you trust them? Yeah, you kind of do because they solved the problem you didn't even know you had. And, you know, and that is that we, well, we can certainly talk about the book later, but, but that is the notion of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Is that because trust uh, is waning, that it has to be based on what you firmly believe as an organization or a brand how you back it up with your actions and then how you talk about it. And all three of those things, if you do them right, then you can generate trust. And if you don't, then you become this pitch slapping, you know, brand that people roll their eyes at. I love that term pitch slap, by the way, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about a few other things in just a few seconds. And I do want to point out, I love what you said about solving a problem they didn't know they had, because I've said for years and my day job is in radio. I said radio is at its absolute best is when it plays the song you didn't know you wanted to hear. Yeah. yeah oh, that's, all of a sudden, a great line. all of a sudden it plays this song that you're like, oh, this is exactly what I needed right now. Because you can't do that with your iPod. You know? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, I didn't think of this song. It yeah. wouldn't have come up in my, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the way I've always thought. But first off, before we get into the book, I want to talk a little bit about you. And, and for anybody that doesn't know who you are, uh, a bit of your... Uh, history. So how did you end up in, in creative direction in marketing? Well, like most people in that field, I did a phys ed degree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So I did a phys ed degree. Um, but I was in the, I was originally an account guy uh, at a um, 
large multinational. And, um, but I was actually a comedian as well. Mm-hmm. And I started to, you know, I did 20 years as a stand-up comedian. And um, at, at one point uh, I was at the Edmonton Fringe Festival performing and uh, I got caught in a hotel fire and I had to get plucked from the windows um, of the journey's end, how prophetic, um, uh, of a hotel. Um, and I, I returned to the agency and told the, I remember telling the president, my life flashed before my eyes and account services didn't make the cut. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I just said, look, I want my, my comedy life and my advertising life to be more closely aligned. So I, I had a business mentality, but I was still, a, you know, a creative guy creating stuff. And uh, so I moved into the creative department as a writer and then social creative director and then creative director and then executive creative director and, and then uh, left to start my own thing in uh, 2012. That's crazy. Um, there was that fire, in, that fire was in Edmonton, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I I was in the Arlington apartment fire in Edmonton no many way. years ago. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. I was the last person. <laughs> oh, out. that's so funny. You had a tragic moment in your life. I was the last person out of that building that wasn't pulled out by a crane, because I literally wow. got out of there and watched two more people get pulled out by a crane. Yeah. Wow. It's wild. Yeah, anyway. see, I was the only one pulled out because the flyer, I, the fire was on the fifth floor. I was the only one on the floor. There was nobody oh, wow. else staying on the floor. And which inside job, I think. Um, and um, so uh, they were doing a reno and the hotel was nice enough that they said, we'll give you this room on this. Nobody's up there. because It's all being renoed. There's no furniture in the room. There's just the bed. So you can rehearse your, your show. It was amazing. But yeah, so I was plucked from in the, the end. You ended up that that way? 2001. Wow. Yeah, this happened in 2004, man. Yeah. Wow. That's huh. craziness. Um, and I saw you speak, uh, and, and that was a part of the story. And one thing that I loved about you as a speaker was the humorous aspect of it. Uh, and I was funny when I was preparing for this interview and having, coming to talk, uh, getting to talk with you, I was like, I can't remember what the event was I was at, where I was, but I remember <laughs> you, how you spoke and what you spoke about. And I think that was such a really... Uh, testament to to how strong of a of, of a public speaker you are, and how humor and uh, a comfortability on stage really goes a long way for anybody doing some public speaking. Uh, oh well, th- thank you for that. That's very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I think um, that yeah. You know, I I I um, I've always believed that from a speaking perspective, like humor i'm not there to be funny mm-hmm. i'm there to be effective but humor sets people up because you know if if i want to my job as a speaker i i think is to change behavior from people whatever within an organization to get you to think of something in a different way and so if i if i say to you well like well this is a pen and and you look at this pen and you go well i've been in this business 30 years and that's a pen and i only mm-hmm. see it as from one perspective and if I come in going like, no, but you should see it from this perspective. And you're like, you know, I just see it. People cross their arms. And they're like, ah, who are you to tell me? You're not in the business, which I totally, I totally get. I get that. So if I go, yeah, yeah, don't worry about anything. Just, I'm just going to make fun of the pen. And, and when you laugh as an audience member, I go, see, you've proven to yourself that you can see this pen from a completely different perspective, that you found the humor in this pen. You hadn't thought of seeing it that way before. And you laughed, so it worked. 
So now that I got you there, how about we take a look at it from this side, which is the strategic side. That I, then this is the message I really came to deliver. And um, I think that's just a more effective way to do it. I mean, it's certainly more enjoyable for me and uh, typically for the audience, but I think I'm there to change behavior within an organization or association and, that, and humor lets me do that. What, uh, what led you to the public speaking part of the whole gig? It's, um, I was doing like corporate comedy mm -hmm. and I would go in at night, I'd sit in all day and I would listen to other speakers and then I would write a customized set at nighttime and deliver it. That does not scale well. Cause you're just, you're just writing new stuff all mm -hmm. the time. And uh, I was also not, I wasn't Jessica Holmes. I wasn't Steve Patterson. It wasn't not like people were like, Oh, I know you, you from that show. So yeah. you can only bill so much as a comedian that nobody knows. But, um, I, at that Edmonton Fringe Festival, uh, I did a, a one-man play, and the the final line of the play is this callback to something earlier in the play, and um, it was a moment of silence, and I the line was so hey be careful, and I went so hey, moment of silence, and then from the front row I just heard this woman go, huh? and. I was like, I've got you. Like I've emotionally, that 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 one little inhale of air is the most powerful moment I've ever had on stage, because I realized like I can take her wherever I want to take her now, and I've completely owned it. And it was the comedy set it up, but she is in a different emotional space because of the comedy, and that can be serious, and that can be emotional, and that can be strategic, whatever I want it to be. And so it was more about how do I pursue like this feeling um, in the silence that follows the punchline because that silence is really powerful. And so I started exploring, you know, can I bring more strategic messaging into my corporate comedy shows? And that is was weird for people because they're like, you're the, it's it's kind of like if a band just started to do spoken word, you know, you're like, what? You're this is supposed to be music, so. I've realized that, that there's no market for for a comedian who knows about business, but a massive market for a funny business guy. And so I just, it was a positioning thing. I was like, don't call me a comedian. I'm not a comedian. Um, I don't want to do that. That doesn't mean I can't be funny mm -hmm. or I won't be funny, but I don't, I don't need to lead with that. And then the comedy can be a surprise and I can actually explore getting to the silence that actually fulfills me. And was it that... Um adjustment of thinking is that is that what brought about your first book which is everyone's an artist is that you bringing your creative to the business end is what took your business to the next level is that what inspired that book yeah it was i mean it came out of a um a, an original keynote that i did called everyone's a comedian or at least they should be and it was like look there's a lot that we can learn from comedians most of which you know there's only one metric in comedy there's only one metric and that is, did they laugh? That's it. There is no, there is no, you can't go like, well, I called, I let the message, they haven't got back to me yet. Like, doesn't, don't care, don't care, don't care. Did they laugh? You do whatever you need to do to get them to laugh. And so it was such a pure art form that I think that we can study to see how do you actually capture attention and how you actually deliver messaging. And then it became, well, let's just expand it out into broader artists. And so I think, um, that the need for creativity has never been, we've never been more desperate for, for creativity. Um, and 
at this moment in time when we need creativity more than ever, we're being faced with people going, I'm just not that creative. <laughs> and, and it's like, no, you want, like you want, we are all born creative. We all, you know, give somebody a PowerPoint deck and they're messing around with clip art because they want to put, they want to express themselves in some way. We all have this in us. And, um, and the problem is, was that we've, we've tried to live up to this definition of creativity that is inaccessible. And, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, full disclosure, Microsoft is a client, but I'm speaking to you mm -hmm. from a Mac. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity uh, provider, but we grew up saying Apple's the one and Apple gave us a spot that was here's to the crazy ones, you know, the round pegs and the square hole, mm -hmm. the square holes. And people were like, yeah, that's what a creative person is. No, like you don't have to be a freak to be creative. That's, you can be a creative accountant. You can be a creative engineer. You can, you know, and, and, and we saw the business disruption, like the people who are really, really creative in what they do, it was creative business models. It was Amazon came in. There's nothing creative about Amazon, but its business model, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, but the art direction's horrible. The, the, the writing is not great. Like there's nothing, you know, traditionally creative about it. And so we started to see that um, the, the people and the brands who define creativity by words and pictures were being taken out by insurgent forces who were applying creativity into completely different areas. Yeah, I think that sometimes um, creative, the, the, that word gets undersold for people who do things that aren't necessarily thought up in the creative realm. Uh, you know, I know I really like motorcycles. I, I, I'm obsessed with watching guys uh, take classic motorcycles and redo them and refinish them. And I'm always amazed by the creativity of what a person does when they take an old motorcycle from the eighties and they turn it into a new machine that looks like it was built last week. Mm -hmm. And the little bits of creativity that needs to be taken on to make that machine something new and, and different. And you don't necessarily think of mechanics as creative people, but those people who manage to bring creativity in really well in a, into mechanics form are the people who become the most successful. And that's what I dug about the first message, the message of that book to me, is that's what I took away from it is that, and I think too, uh, and I don't know if you agree with me on this either. I think that we are putting kids these days. And I just said the kids these days line. But I think we're putting, which always is like, oh, kids these days. Um, I think we're putting kids these days into a lot of creative things, but not necessarily helping them nurture their creativity anymore. I don't know. Am I right in that? I agree with you. It's like they're overscheduled. Uh, they're just like, you got Wednesday, you got piano on Tuesday, you know, and um, and we all know that that creativity you know well there's an aspect of creativity and i think a really important one that is about self-expression and and self-expression isn't something you teach mm -hmm. i think it's something you discover and it's something that you experiment with and it's something that you play around with and you know why did i wear this shirt and this sweater i don't know but it took well i actually changed the sweater from something else and this is the expression i want you know i think kids need that time in their own space to just sort stuff out. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I was a, you know, I started doing stand up comedy. I always loved the craft, but the, 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 my first, the first stuff that I wrote was just like about the pain, not pain. That sounds lame, but the, the, 
I exposed the emotional underbelly of the, of the thing that caused me problems as, as, as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and those weren't big, massive, you know, things, but it was like, how do I take this situation? How do I comment on that? And that required that I sit alone with my own thoughts for a while, yeah. thought about it and, and got my way out of it. And now we're saying to people, just go see a shrink, just game the system, just jump ahead, just take the lesson. And I don't, I think that I think we lose a piece of our soul when we do that. I, yeah. I don't think that's right. Yeah, I think I think you said it right in the overscheduled thing too. In that it's like, oh great, well you've got to go to guitar on this time, you got to go to dance on this time, you got to go to hockey on this time, you got to go to soccer on this time, and it's like, where is there time like to go? I want to go see what it's like to, uh, you know, run through the trees for the hell of it. <laughs> you know, like. I mean, that's what I'm thankful as a kid growing up in rural Alberta. I'm like, that's what they did. There was just go outside and do stuff and yeah. see and try and build and whatever. I realized very quickly I'm not an architect. You know, I tried to <laughs> fort build, couldn't fort build. So I just annexed old buildings and made them my own. But, you know, like you find things out about yourself, even at super young ages, when you're just given the chance to just go and you find it where you just want to go. Yeah. I think my greatest skill as a stand-up came from being five years old and sitting around a table, kitchen table with my aunts and uncles and grandparents yeah. and listening to stories. I mean, I, you get a couple of, you know, some Quebecois Italians around a kitchen table and sit for three hours talking about stories. <laughs> You're going to get some skills. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, mine's the same way. A uh, bunch of Alberta farmers sitting around playing crib. It, I owe my entire radio career to my father's ability to talk to literally any human being on earth, which <laughs> used to drive me absolutely insane as a young man. But now I'm just so thankful for what I saw in front of me every single day. And that's purely by observation. It's not a course. It's not a class. It's nothing. It's just observation of life. Yeah. Um, comedy, come back to that. What I love about comedy is, and I think you can, you sort of touched on it too, is there's no there's no safety zone in comedy. So I talk to when we talk radio all the time. Uh, I love radio because I if I have this, I have a microphone. If we have a you know something happens, I can take a break. I can edit it. I can cut it. Comedy, yeah. you're right out there on that stage. You learn to um, you know you have to deal with every human being's reaction, and it's yeah. one of the rare. Like you just have, and it's all on you. There's nobody else on the stage really, you know, unless you're an improv comedy or whatever, there's nobody else you can really blame except for you. If the show didn't go well, it's you. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's like, and you, you learn to pivot pretty quickly. You're like, Oh, this is, this material is not going to fly. Or, uh, you know, you, you end up with strategies of like, I got to a point where if I say something that didn't work, I would literally see the line like, huh, that's fascinating. I thought that was really funny. Apparently you do not, you know, and just call it out. We had something happen the other night. Um, so at, so for this book launch, we did a comedy show um, because I just didn't want to do a book launch like mm-hmm. everybody else does a book launch. And so there's a show that I used to host and produce called Monkey Toast. And and um, the, the original host came back and, and with the cast. And so what it is, it's an interview. And then the and you you have a serious interview and then you flip it over to six second city alumni who then improvise scenes based on the conversation you've just had so it's really really fun and really really funny 
And in the introduction, the host, David Shore, who's a very talented guy, was going over things about my background. This is, this is a big, it was in front of 200 people, family and friends and stuff. And he said, you got, you have, a, you have a young son at home, you have a wife, you have an agency, you have a baby on the way, you've got your dog, Rupert. And my dog, Rupert, we had to put down, oh. you know, last December. And the whole room went like, and, and then um, suddenly was like, what do you do with that? And because they knew that uh, I'm a comedian and what I would have done was like, run with it. Like you mm -hmm. go now. And so of course that became the legacy thread bit through every single sketch that they did um was just referencing the dead dog because you had to right yeah. and it's like we all got you gotta got it you just you just double down on it and um and it, it was the funniest part of the night yeah. absolutely the funniest part of the night and would you say that that part of comedy is it can be applied into marketing in that sense that you've got to double down you have to recognize the elephants in the room you've got to recognize when you've misstepped and I think we've seen lots of uh, moments where we've watched brands misstep and then totally not, you know, fix the landing at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that something that, you know, that type of comedy has to be applied to that type of marketing? In, in two ways. The first way is that you call something out and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a screw up, right? It's like, uh, and Newcastle Brown Ale was like, you know, they had an ad that was just like, you know, here's another beer just like the rest of them. And it's and to the average consumer, that is what they think. Mm -hmm. And so you you like don't try and the marketer is like, how do I inflate and exaggerate the product benefits to the point that people don't react? That, that's not how people think. You know, when I was at your RCG, our New York office did the Dos Equis campaign. And the most brilliant part of the most interesting man in the world campaign, from my perspective as a creative director, was the second last line, which was, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis. Mm -hmm. That is an honest approach to how people actually think about the beer category. Nobody goes, give me a bud or nothing. Yeah. They don't. It's bullshit. They just don't do that. And so a comedian is that, that honest approach with the rule in comedy is like, you never ignore the reality of the room. And so if somebody just yelled out, you suck, You've got to address it. You have yeah. to address it in a really fun way. So that's how you can do it in a, in a really honest way to actually cut through the clutter because nobody says that in that way. The second part is to you said, like sometimes there's a screw up and um, if there's two ways. One way is, yep, you double down. You go, nope, I'm, uh, I am doubling down on this. I think this is important. I'm getting a spine. The customer isn't always right. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking a stand here. And in, in a, an increasingly divisive world, we are seeing that more and more, where brands are saying, don't care if you want to burn your Nikes, we're sticking up for Colin Kaepernick. We're mm -hmm. doubling down on this. Do what you want. And and the line, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, I think, you know, says exactly what that strategy was. On the other hand, um, some point, you, you know, the term I use is you have an integrity gap. This is not what you actually believe. And this mm -hmm. is not how you typically behave. And um, and people are gonna people are gonna mess up, and and I think you have to be fast, and you have to be transparent, and you have to provide the strategy of um, of what you're going to do as a result of that, and then move on, and you move on with the realization that you're not gonna drag along everybody with you. Nope, uh, some people are still still gonna hate you, mm -hmm. still gonna hate you, yeah. and you need to be okay with that. 
Fair enough. All right, Ron, let's let's talk about your uh, your new book. And every time I want to say the title, I want to <laughs> say it differently. Like it you seems say like it's a, say, yeah, right. Yeah. It's think do say. Yeah. Why is it think do say? It's think do say, and you're right. And a lot of people want to put the say before the do, and I think that's the problem with marketing that we want to talk about it before mm-hmm. we do it, and we we talk about an aspirational state of where we hope we get to. And that's where trust falls away because people are going, you didn't live up to you. Like, yeah, we're getting to that. Well, then when you just you shouldn't talk about it. So it really is that order that you, you, you need to believe in something more important. You need to behave in a way that reinforces that belief. And if you do that, and if you lead and act with intent to reinforce a greater purpose, then finally, then that's worth talking about. Well, you should probably talk about it in an interesting and compelling way. But, you know, if, if, if as, a, as an organization, all you do is think, then you're a think tank. If as a person, all you do is think, then you're a philosopher. If as a company, you know, you just, you're just focused on the do, you're just cranking, 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 then you're probably a sweatshop. You're just people mm-hmm. running everywhere. No one wants to work with you because you're not strategically driven and focused. If as a person, you're that person when you're like, I'm so busy and you just do, 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 do. You're just constantly spinning your wheels. Then your colleagues probably hate you. Um, and you probably define your success by the number of hours you work opposed to the quality and the contribution of those hours. Um, and then on the say side, if you, if, if as an organization, all you do is talk about the things that you hope to do before you actually do them, then you're in constant churn mode, right? You're just constantly losing, losing customers because they go, you said it was going to be the greatest vacuum in the world. It's not. And I don't care if it will be in three months. I've already spent the cash. I'm gone. And, and if as a person, all you do is talk about the things you're going to do to your colleagues, but you never actually do them, then you'll be found out. You'll just be found out and you'll be found out as the person that you can't trust and not trust that you're going to, you know, go home and you're going to put a pack of yellow stickies in your pocket every <laughs> night, but that you just, you're never going to deliver the things you talk about. And so you get end up getting shuffled to the side and you don't get promoted. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's a, incredibly simple that's what i really love about it it's it's an incredibly simple uh statement that says really the way that we should be looking at things um when you look at like when you look one thing that i see a lot of is a lot of really talented artists like we i'm in fort mcmurray right now we have a, a a bunch of really talented artists here any community can say i've got a bunch of really talented artists they make beautiful art. They, have, they do, do great acting. They do. Uh, I think a lot of times uh, where they do f- seem to fall down to me is on the say end. Mm-hmm. They're not good at. They don't want to be boastful. They don't want to put themselves out there too much. They don't want to be seen as that person or that guy. Yeah. And, and they don't know how to do the say part well, even though they really do have at least the do part really well. I think sometimes the think part, the philosophy might not all of a sudden, might be, not be all fleshed out really well for them. But the say part, it seems to me, is where they really struggle. When you talk to artists and those types of people, how do you help them embrace that say end? It's such a great insight, Andrew. Like I think that, uh, and I feel their pain because I live it every day. I mean, mm-hmm. I just had a book come out. I, I I just picture people sitting at home on their LinkedIn profile going, we know we got a book coming out and that, you know, 
it, it kills me to have to tell people. It really does. I hate doing it. Marketing the book, even as a marketer, I, I hate doing that. So how do you do it? Well, the first thing is that the say doesn't always have to be come buy my painting, come see my band like that. I think mean, that's mm -hmm. where people get it wrong. That in fact, that should be such a small percentage of the things you talk about. And so why don't you talk about the things that you, that interest you or that talk or that in, interests your customer base or the customer that you, you're hoping to get to. And so, uh, you know, why don't you, um, um, to talk about the things that 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 um, that drive your thinking, you know, can you provide stuff, some insight into your process? Can you do some some like, hey, I'm in the studio today, and I just I'm gonna look hook up a camera while I paint. You can just see this, and um, and if you do 99 of those types of messages in relevant places for people who are interested in in hearing what you have to say about that, trust me, on the hundreds when you say I've got a gallery opening they want to hear it from you. And, and, and as long as you, you know, you deliver that in a really authentic voice and, and um, you know, you just don't pitch slap people to death, then they, they literally want to hear it. And um, I'm, you know, what? I'm gonna, I'm going to pull up a text message here. Okay. Yeah. Just because, because I was dealing with this. Um, um, my friend, Bruce Celery, some of your viewers may know Bruce. Um, he is on, you know, breakfast television a lot. And um, he sent me a note and um, he said, um, bu, 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 oh, sorry, we'll have to edit some of this out, <laughs> out because he knew that I was hating it, right? He knew that I was hating marketing um, the book. And um, he said, I'd like to offer another interpretation on book promo. If the book were about you, I could see your hesitation to promote it more easily, but it isn't about you. I really don't think it is. It is about making an impact in organizations and in lives. So don't let your concern about being it being too much about you diminish the impact you can make on us. So sure, don't be this person, um, but be you. And you are the guy who makes us think and laugh at the same time. The book does that at scale, promote it. So I think, you know, when you're in service of somebody and you you realize that while you may get a sale and a buck from something, it's not a one-way transaction, that they, they actually do get something out of it. And um, as long as we disclose that we're getting a buck and they know we're getting a buck, then I think people want to hear from us. Yeah, I think it's funny because I think the people who, what you just said, people the people who do that the best have the hardest time believing in what they're doing. <laughs> Whereas the people who don't do that the best are easy to pump out 8 million copies of something that's not that fulfilling. But the people yeah. who really make those fulfilling things, and those are the people that I love the most, whether it's repairing a motorcycle or, or making a necklace, uh, you know, or whatever you're you know, little side hustle might be or what the, the little business that you dream of, of growing into something huge. Um, I find that they are the ones that struggle with that the most of, of understanding that if you build something great, you are actually giving somebody something. Yeah. And I, I, um, I always get leery of, um, or leery, is that the word? Leery, weird, whatever. Of, um, of artists who, 
and whether it's speaker or comedian or a band who's like, we got to, you know, they go, we got to build the website and we got to have an Instagram strategy and we're going to need a YouTube approach. And, and then you're like, have you built the speech? Mm -hmm. Like you got to build the product. Yeah. And, um, uh, we, the podcast we do here is called the coup. And we did a, an, a, an episode called the coup of music. We had Jake gold on, you know, Jake. Yeah. 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 yeah great guy. Yeah. And we were talking about this and, and I, I want to give credit, but I don't remember which of us said it. <laughs> it was in the conversation, but the, but it was, but we both contributed to the line, which was, um, a shitty band on a track is still a shitty band on Spotify. Mm. And so, you know, if you're confident that you've spent enough time building the product, it's okay to have a little bit of promotion. But if you're spending more time on promotion than you are in building the product, it's probably because your product's not very good. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, what is number one is the product. Yeah. But, but as I say, I think, I think the people who build the best product have the hardest time getting out there and selling it. Because they've been too focused on the product. Yeah, I agree you know? with you. But that's why, that's what we're here, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you're what here is. for, right? Yeah. I hope they're listening. To find those people and say, and that, well, but that's who I want to talk to, right? That's what, the, yeah. to me, it's the, the part of the podcast is, is talking to those people who are going like, I got ideas and I want to create things. And, and uh, I always get asked to judge like talent competitions and all those types of things. And I hate doing it. It's like the absolute worst job in the whole world yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, because they're like, go judge all this talent. And I'm like, I just don't want to upset the 15 other people. So I end up always doing a speech at the end about like how every single person on the stage should continue to do what they're doing all the time. Like just keep doing it over and over and over again. And anytime anybody ever gives you a stage, take it and make art on it, make something on it. And like, just keep doing that. And uh, because it, it, I don't ever want anybody to ever get dis, uh, discouraged to be creative. You yeah, know? I love that you deliver that message. I also think if I can deliver to this message to the people who aren't the creators who are listening, mm -hmm. that there is actually there is a, a response because we all love this, right? We love we love to go see great bands in big venues and we love to listen to our favorite music on Spotify or, or, or on the radio or wherever. Um, we love to go see great successful comedians and watch their Netflix specials. Well, we are doing that because 20 years ago, there were a bunch of audiences who subsidized our now wonderful experience by sitting through shitty performances. And, and, you know, I, we, we have a role as audience members in that. My, my, my wife is not of the arts. And we, I remember going to a friend show and she's, she didn't know anything of it. She's like, what is the, what's the show? And I was like, oh, it's this thing. It's a, you know, it's a play. And she's like, oh, the reviews are great. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked. I just thought it was interesting. And she goes, well, what if it sucked? And I was like, oh, let me tell you something I call the luck of the fringe. Um, and that two minutes in, we are going to know the role that we are about to play. <laughs> and we are either going to play an audience who is there to receive a brilliant performance for somebody, or we are there as an audience to simply be supportive, to be an audience so that somebody can work through their stuff so that an audience in the future can see the benefit. And we've got to pay it forward. 
uh, as audience members. And when, you know, it's really easy to pay 60 bucks to go see Bill Burr. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to pay five bucks to go see a shitty stand-up set, but it's way braver. And it's, and, and, um, we, we have to, as uh, creative people, we need to continue to push ourselves to just suck. We just need to suck more and get, and just work on building the product over time. And as audience members, we have to remember that somebody is putting themselves out on stage. And if you're in a chair with a drink, you're not. So shut up and applaud. I think that, yeah, man. Uh, but I think that you are an example as any creative who's still doing it, uh, of just continually doing it and finding your path within the world by just continually doing it over and over again. It may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be a rock star at 14, realized fairly quickly I couldn't play the guitar worth anything, can't sing, you know. But I, music is still, in, in a small way, paid my bills for 15 years along with marketing. You know, so we all find our way as long as you just keep doing it. Yeah, I, you'll love this story. I, I am. So I play guitar mm -hmm. horribly, like horribly. Right. I'm a three the GCD. Yeah. E minor every once in a while. I'm that guy. Um, but I only like to play by myself. I just don't. I don't I'm not a campfire guy or anything. And so years ago, I was doing a uh, I don't, it wasn't a headline set. I was I was middling or something. And um, it was, I think it was a 20 minute set. And I decided I'm gonna play guitar on stage for the first time. I've never played guitar. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna write an original song and I'm just gonna do it to do it. And I don't know. And, and I was working with a director at the time who said, either you're gonna love it and you're gonna do more and more of it, or I'm telling you, it's gonna, you're gonna hate it. You're gonna absolutely hate it. So I do, I do you know, eight, 17 minutes of a 20 minute set. And I decide I'm gonna close with my big original number. And I go and I get my guitar and I step to the microphone and it is that exact moment that I realize I've never played guitar standing up before. <laughs> it was, oh, Andrew, it was the worst, horrible, horrible thing I've ever, uh, I was so bad. Um, and it was so bad for everybody in the room, right? Every, it was not a good experience for anybody. And when I went to the director, he was there and he said, um, the biggest problem with it was that we all could see the pain on your face. Mm -hmm. And had you messed up that song confidently, <laughs> you know, and that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Someone's going to close out, you know, middling set right before turning to the headliner with a song on the guitar and they're horrible at the guitar. That's funny. It's not funny when you can see the pain on your face. Um, so suck it up. And uh, he said, I want you to do it one more time. And then you can throw it away and never do it again. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I did it one more time. I owned the mistakes yeah. uh, and never did it again. That's funny. Wow, man. Uh, <laughs> but he's, that's so right. People think that if they mess up on stage or they mess up in some way that the audience is just going to throw tomatoes at them or whatever their food is at them, hate them. But it's never really like for most, it's not hate. A lot of the room just looks at you like, Oh, that's got it. Like, I'm sorry. Like that's got to <laughs> yeah, suck. Yeah. Like, Oh no, this is, this hurts. You yeah. know, like we, every, the audience collectively shares, 
yep. in your don't feelings. make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. The- yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll, that's funny that you said this because I have only ever once played an original song on guitar in front of human beings ever. Oh wow. And I, uh, uh, yeah, I've, I played like acoustically every once in a while. I play an open mic just for fun. I enjoy it. But only ever did an original song once, and this is going to be totally NZ for only you, you and I will probably know this place. The Transit Hotel on Fort Road in Edmonton is where I did it because they had an oh, open wow. mic night. And instantly walked off that stage and said, I was never doing that again. Like, I'm ne- <laughs> never. It was a horrible, poor Nirvana ripoff. The whole room, which was about maybe an eighth full, uh, didn't even look up. Yeah. Uh, and one woman was like, Nice try. <laughs> like, nice try. Like you went, you gave it a go, and I was I like, it. okay. I love it. That was it. Yeah, and never that. again. I never do it again. And just <laughs> learn. Really, like I told myself at fourteen, I was never going to do that. I just got the urge one night. I had written it. I thought, you know what? I'll just go play it. I was living behind the Fort Road because it was the cheapest place in town to go to school. Uh, yeah, man, and that's what did it. And that was. But I learned in that instance that I didn't like playing music on, on stage. But I never hated the stage. Right. Right? The, the, it wasn't the stage that I hated. It was the playing an original song, that whole idea. I was like, no, this isn't it. <laughs> and it's all of that, like, and I'm sure you've got more stories like that. I've got more stories like that. Anybody in, in creative arts or, or anything, in, anything creative has a ton of stories of, like, failing more than anybody else has tried. Mm-hmm. But that's what you got to do. Yeah. That's what you got to do. You got to test it. You got to see where you're at. And, and you got to keep going at it. Um, and if you do it, as you say, with, with honesty, people are going to connect. And that's yeah, and you, and you get better at it, right? Like you, you when I started stand up, if something didn't, if something bombed or didn't work, I immediately was like, oh, I'm so not funny. Mm-hmm. I've been found out. I shouldn't, I have no place to, to I, I shouldn't be here. And and then more and more you're like you want it to palm almost you're like I, mm-hmm. if I don't push it beyond the line like it's because it's funniest when it's as close to the line as you can possibly yeah. get and then you just take one step over and it's it's not good um, so you got to just push yourself I I did something just last week I was speaking in front of fifteen hundred people and I had done it was the art of leadership and I'd kind of done it before. And so I, I'm very conscious of like not doing repeat material and stuff. So I was like, you know, I prepared the speech and, and I went, I'm going to end with a story about my dead father. I've never told on stage before, 1500 people. I'm sure it'll be great, you know, and, and, um, and it killed, like it killed, but I, I'm just comfortable enough. Like I'll be mm-hmm. able to, even if it's not working, I'll be able to save it. I'll be, you know, it's just, I've got enough years now under my belt where I can pivot pretty quickly on stuff and I can read a room. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and yeah, it totally worked. And then, or it, it didn't totally work, but it worked enough that I realized there's something there. Definitely. Now I got to work the bit and mm-hmm. I'm just going to perfect it over time. And then it's going to become something that could be a, a big part of the whole presentation. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You you know you got to pan for silver and work for gold. Gold just doesn't appear. You got to pan for silver mm-hmm. and just look for little glimmers of, like there's something interesting there, and then work it and work it and work it and work it and work it, and you'll get it to gold. But gold just doesn't show up on day one. And 
back to the book. Once you've got what you believe is gold, what's the first step for people to take that out there and to have people believe in your gold? So the you know so the think part is the is the like you know you need need to believe in something greater. So mm-hmm. if there's a reason why you do this, you know, and um, there's a great uh, 15 years ago now, October 15th of 2004, John Stewart appeared on uh, CNN's Crossfire. It was a political show on CNN. He was at the height of his game. He had the book had just come out. He was there, and we know how this works, right? Comedians. Um, uh, they manipulate the conversation to, you know, allow themselves to work their best bits into the, into the conversation. Uh, and so they pitch slap us, right? They just, they, they, they pitch their product. And, uh, and on this night when John Stewart had his biggest audience ever, uh, at a time when he should have been pitching the book in his show, he told the two hosts that they were harming America. And they said, you know, Tucker Carlson goes, well, you're not being very funny, John. And then he said, no, no, I'm not going to be your monkey. And so he had the opportunity to pitch his product, but he actually put purpose before product and purpose before profit. That was more important to him. And I know that there's all those things that inspire our art or that inspire our business and those things come first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's the first thing is like, what is the higher order belief there? And so for him, it was like, I believe in the, that there's hypocrisy in media and politics. Like, okay, great. Um, uh, so that's what you have to do. You need to believe in that. Then you need to consciously do stuff that reinforces that. So if you're a musician who thinks that you need to, you know, take your message to the streets because the planet is dying, then you need some songs that, that, that inspire people to save the planet. You need to behave in a way that shows that you live your belief. Um, and so based on who you do it for, uh, who is that core audience, what do they want you to do and who do you do it with? Who are the people, um, again, if you're a musician, you probably have bands that you tour with and, you know, what can you do with those people? How can you celebrate those relationships and acknowledge those relationships? And then the last part is the say, is like, you know, I believe in this, this is what I do. And so now let's talk about it in a really authentic voice. And I think there's too many people, I keep going back to music, but, you know, there's people who grew up thinking that they should live up to the stock photo version of what a musician should look and act mm-hmm. and sound like. And that they don't have the street cred if, if they don't look and act and sound like that. And it's actually the reverse that's true. That if you don't look and act and sound like a traditional musician, you must be brilliant. You must be really good. And the real, really strong people in creative fields are the ones who don't, they don't live up to this ideal. It's everybody else. It's everyone else who's trying to pose as the, as the superstar. And so you have to be authentic in how you talk and how you deliver that message. Um, and, and all three of those things combined, that gets you the trust. Yeah, if you look at the history of music, the people who didn't look like the people who were big at the time are the ones that always changed the entire game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, Beatles came in, they're like, that's not a haircut you're supposed no. to have. Devo. <laughs> Who'd yeah. ever look at Devo and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, exactly yeah, totally. what rock's yeah, yeah. supposed to sound like in that yeah. time. No, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. So you've said it a couple of times, and I want you to kind of delve in it just for a second. Pitch slap. What mm-hmm. is a pitch slap? A, a pitch slap is when, when a receiver, when you, you're pitching your, uh, you know, somebody is pitching their service or pitching their product. They want us to buy their thing. They want us to follow them. They want us to engage in their transactional message. 
Um, but what they do is they disguise it. And they, they, you know, it's the person who connects with us on LinkedIn and says, I was perusing your profile and just seemed so interested in your background. And, in th and I'm like, and here it comes in three, two, one. And I get this long, you know, note that says how I should have hired their web development company. That's a pitch slap. You just want to pitch me. And I just feel so gross reading that, that first message because I know the pitch is coming. Yeah. And consumers are pitch slapped more and more and more. And it's not just from brands, by the way. It's, it's our friends are, you know, it used to be like there was a wedding sh shower, a baby shower, a wedding shower, a wedding and a baby shower. And that was it, right? Now we're traveling to, you know, Barcelona for the bachelor party. And then there's this, there's a, there's a gender reveal party and there's a sprinkler party. And, the, you know, our social obligations are through the roof because it's so easy for people to invite us to, because they've clicked a box on Facebook and it says send everybody this message. So we have this pressure of just like, ah, you only come to your party, you only do your thing. And so we just, we're feeling pitch slapped in every possible way. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, totally overwhelming. One thing I found really funny, I've had broadcaster on my LinkedIn for like over a decade, as long as LinkedIn's been in existence. Never really got that very much. The minute I wrote podcaster on there, like three or four <laughs> years ago, three or four years ago, podcaster on there, it's daily. It's almost daily. I get somebody... Yeah. Pitching me on how they can make me eight million followers, and I keep, I'm yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not going to pay you to make a ten thousand fake people show up on my yeah. podcast. I want people yeah. who want to listen to be listening to it, and I'll connect to them as it as it grows. But it's funny. That's exactly what happened with the podcast. As soon as podcast was on there, million of those people, and it's always like, hi. Fifteen seconds, super long message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that I'm not ever going to read the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah, uh, it's like, I don't need the 10,000. It's not that I don't want 10,000, 4 million followers. I don't need them by tomorrow afternoon. No. I'd rather they come along organically. Thank you very much. Exactly. I was also going to ask you about this. One thing I like about your book and the writing is I find it to be incredibly accessible. It's not a. It's not a, a. It's not a marketing textbook. It's an access. It's it's for anybody who has a product, or has an idea, or you know wants to help somebody with a product. They can read it. Anybody can. Is uh, is that who who are you aiming for when writing the book? Yeah, I think there's so much of marketing that crosses over into into almost pop culture. Mm -hmm. that, you know, because brands are so much a part of our life, and it's almost entertainment. And I think that people, uh, I also wanted it to apply not just to brands, but to people. That mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're a parent, you can apply this thinking like, oh, what do you believe? You believe kids don't have enough free time. What do you do? You have canceled two piano classes a week. You uh, bought them a canvas that they can paint on, you know, and then what do you say? Well, how do you talk to your kids about exploring creativity? You use, you know, certain language. So, so you can use the exact same approach for for you as a parent or as a community member. And yeah, I, I, just, I mean, one, that's me. I, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't try and make things sound too smart or too complicated. I think that gets in the way that we need to have some humor. And I think you're, I mean, accessible is a great way to describe it. And that was the goal. Um, I want people to, that they don't need a PhD in marketing or a geeked out interest in business to find a good read from this. 
Do you like the word disruption? I was laughing at that clip that you put out for the book release. Do you like the word disruption? Uh, I don't mind it. I mean, I think it's totally gets overused. Yeah. But I don't know until somebody comes, because it is though. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you know, businesses are being disrupted and it's just a term that everybody's caught on with. Um, I like it better than, you know, uh, think outside of the box or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I just don't know of another term. We, we, we call it the coup, you know, that was, it's like, oh, it's a coup of food. It's a coup of entertainment. Um, but, um, I, but at the same time, I do acknowledge like disruption, disruption, disruptors, disruption. disrupting. Yeah. 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 It just seems to be used a lot too. Wait, wait, but you're right. It, it definitely it's happening and, and it's not just that the businesses are getting disrupted, uh, ways of doing business are constantly getting disrupted mm-hmm. because the people are getting changing. disrupted. You know, if you're, if you're a, a taxi driver, you got disrupted. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we don't even have, we had a whole, the city council stopped Uber from coming in because yeah. the taxi drivers fought back. They wouldn't allow it. Right, right, right. You know, huh. because they were, they were able to make their case enough up here, but you go anywhere else and I can't imagine what it's like. I, I did see some videos from Toronto and they, cabbies fighting with Uber drivers. Yeah, it gets pretty rough and pretty intense, but it's tough, right? People's lives are in the, in, hanging in the balance and that stuff. People's livelihoods in a, in a lot. And, you know, sometimes you have to look at it and you go, well, this is like working at the phone book company. And sometimes you go, is this something that's changing the world for forever? Or is it something that it's going to co- coexist together, right? We have the same thing in the radio world. Absolutely. Yeah. People go, yeah. this is going to destroy you. They've been saying this is going to destroy radio for absolutely everywhere. But yeah. audio consumption is like higher than it's ever been. So yeah. it's crazy in that sense. So definitely disruption is happening um, all the time. Uh, yeah, I think I think we do have to look at just both sides of it, right? Like mm-hmm. that I, you know, when the taxi driver said like, but I paid $100,000 for a license. I'm like, well, I invested more than $100,000 in this business and there's no guarantee that this thing is going to survive beyond a moral. I could lose everything. Yeah. And we can't stand in the way of innovation the same time these are people mm-hmm. and there are ramifications to technology that we can't ignore and there are people implications of technology that we can't ignore and i think we at least just to have be comfortable having the conversation you know everybody said atms were going to kill people at, at you know that we're going to lose people at banks banks hired way more people yep. since the advent of the atm um so it's not always a bad thing, but it's not always a good thing either. Well, uh, I was talking to somebody at McDonald's, and they said the same thing about the automatic tellers. Right. That they started sell, they started hiring more people be, to keep up with the demand because they were able to get orders in faster. So right. they ended yeah, up yeah, hiring yeah. more people than losing people. And everybody goes, these things are taking jobs. It's like, well, yeah. no, they're not. Now, there's a whole different conversation to have whether it's good that people can get their fast food faster or order more fast food quicker. That's a whole other conversation. But the idea that it's all technology is losing jobs isn't necessarily true. But as you said, these are all definitely conversations that we need to have. Um, thank you very much for your conversation today. We're coming really close to the top of our hour. I do have one last little thing that I ask every single guest. It's called read, watch, and listen, uh, something to read, something to watch and something to listen to. Uh, so something to read, uh, my friend Scott Stratton's got a book coming out in a few weeks called the Jackass Whisperer. Hmm. I highly recommend that you read that. 
Um, something to watch. If you haven't watched the season finale of Succession, get on it. It's gold. <laughs> it is great. Um, it's so, yeah, it's Shakespearean. Uh, or in the comedy side, check out the last couple of Dave Chappelle's Netflix specials. Um, those are pretty you know, fantastic. Um, and then listen, uh, who am I liking these days? Um, music wise, I saw Hamilton for the first time last week in nice. Chicago, and I've been geeking out on the soundtrack. Um, that's that was remarkable, um, and so I'm kind of just geeking out on getting deeper into the music. And yeah, it's pretty pretty fantastic. And Hamilton's another uh, idea that changed the game for a lot of people. Yeah, that's yeah. not your average musical. No, but hey, did huge. Same with uh, yeah. one. I always I still haven't had a chance to see Book of Mormon. I'd love to see that one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That um, I saw it in New York, and it was um, yeah. Again, you're like right from the opening scene. Hello, <laughs> um, you know, it's like oh, this is gonna be different, different right from yeah. the get go. And yep, it is. Cool, Ron. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ron. Uh, I tell you, your book is is an absolute pleasure. It is something. I think it's what I, as I said, it's it's it, it's accessible to everybody for anybody yeah. to give a read uh, if you want to look at a great way to approach ideas approach new ideas approach new businesses approach everything so thank you very much for your time thanks for being on the show thanks for having me andrew i will just say this as a parting comment you are very good at this oh thank you thank you very much okay cool thanks, thanks everybody for listening <laughs>